Welcome to The Match of My Career. My name is Todd Schooler, and on this podcast, I'll be chatting with ex-tennis players about the favourite match of their careers. In this episode, I'm talking with former Australian tennis player, Betty Sekolovsky. Betty reached a career-high 273 in singles and 120 in doubles. Today, we're going back to 2004 to chat about her second-round match in the Bendigo 25K tournament against former Australian player, Evie Dominikovic. Here's my chat with Betty Sekolovsky. Betty, thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's great to have you on here. Thanks, Todd. Pleasure to be here. Today, well, firstly, you had a career-high ranking of 273 in singles, 120 in doubles. You won four ITF doubles and four ITF singles. Today, we're going back to 2004. We're going back to Bendigo uh, 25K ITF, uh, and we're going to chat about the match where you played against Australia's Evie Dominikovic. You're actually a co-host on a junior podcast, and I think this is actually a great example of how most players are not going to make it to the very top level, but there are matches and moments on everyone's journey that, that kind of stay with you forever, and, and taking the time to enjoy them is important. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Todd. It's, um, it's really hard, to, as you know, to, to crack the top 100, and I think, you know, having multiple discussions with athletes that, um, you know, are striving for the top 100 mark or if anything further it's uh it takes a lot more than just jumping on the court and um you know a lot of financial resources also need to be pumped into the players and the support network and coaches and a lot of dedication but um yeah there's always that that one match that sticks in your mind as a player and i think you know there's i'm sure there's several for a lot of athletes but there is that one match that you go back to and go god that felt good and i think it even happens at just the the social level the you know the local player always remembers one or two matches and um, I think it's nice to chat about it sometimes and, and reminisce a little bit. So, at the time, uh, Evie was the number one seed in the event in the event and was ranked roughly around 125. And less than 12 months before that match, uh, Evie had actually pushed Venus Williams all the way in the French Open. You were ranked about 700 at the time uh, and came through qualifying. Uh, now you hadn't played Evie before, had you? I'm, I'm assuming this was probably the highest ranked player you'd ever played. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I had a, a career plagued with a lot of injury um, from a from a very young age. So my ranking really did fluctuate quite a bit throughout those years and, you know, went from the, the 200s and 70s to the 300s. So then I got injured. Then I went to the 700s where my ranking dropped. And uh, it was, yeah, definitely one of, if not one of the highest players at that time that I'd beaten um, in my career. So I was playing some really good tennis I'd actually come off a summer where I didn't win a lot of matches, but I had changed my perspective in my career at the time. I was close to sort of giving the game away. So I went in there really coming into the summer with not a lot of pressure and just trying to allow myself to enjoy the game for a change and not make it feel like it was just a, a job. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty awesome tournament because I actually got to play Evie's sister in the qualifying in the first match. Oh, so right. it was kind of a – yeah, it was interesting. I went – and I've known the Dominikovic family for a really long time. Really, um, you know, we've had, you know, some. Evie's a great girl, and um, and her sister Daniela is a, a really nice girl as well. So I've known them since I was quite young. So it was a really quite a, it was quite an interesting tournament overall for me through the family. That was going to be one of my questions. Did you know her? Had you practiced with her, or had much to do with her previously? Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. I've got a lot to thank Evie for. Actually, I don't think Evie even even knows this, but um, at the time, I had a lot of difficulty believing that I could beat players that were much higher ranked than I was at the time, especially someone that was ranked you know, inside the top 100, at, you know, six months prior to that. And then having someone who was just outside the top 100 quality player in Evie. I actually got the opportunity to practice with Evie a lot in Melbourne a couple months prior to that. And we were playing a lot of sets against one another um, through the, the through the, the months in Melbourne that she was based here for. And 
it was incredible for me. I got to experience practicing against a quality player and, and it put a lot of pressure on me in practice to have to perform for Evie as well is to give her, you know, the hits that she was requiring um, just to make sure that I could still get that phone call. Hey, do you want to practice again? Like it's always up when you're practicing against quality players because your level of focus goes, um, you know, it, you feel tired at the end of the day because you're focusing harder than what you've ever had. And you realize how much engagement you do require as a player and how little we engage when we're not practicing with those level of expectations of ourselves. So for me, when I did practice with her, it was like not just her. I was I felt like I was always that player that did put a lot of effort into my practices, but I made sure that, you know, I was making balls, I was moving well, I was making sure I was challenging her in every rally. And we were having some incredible match play practices. Like I was it was like I was playing a real match, felt exhausted. And leading into that tournament, funny enough, I told myself when I came across Evie in the match that, hey, you've actually beaten her in practice sets. Like, you can do this. You can actually do this. You've played her several times. And at first I was losing and then it got to a stage in practice where I was starting to beat her. You know, not that it always means anything, but for me it did mean something. It meant that I could do it regardless whether it was practice or not. Absolutely. If uh, if it means if it means you get some belief out of it, then it's it's absolutely worth it. And and I think you've just explained how, how good it is to train against someone better than you better in loose terms um maybe someone higher up the ranking or someone more experienced for for juniors or just young kids coming through the professional ranks to to learn from more experienced players uh, it's so important isn't it oh look absolutely and we don't always get that opportunity i think you know i was pretty fortunate to grow up in a generation where we had so many quality tennis players around us and and even if you weren't in the federation at tennis australia you had multiple setups on the outside where players would join together. So players, you know, I was coached at the time by Larry Dempster um, from Bo Morris Lawn Tennis Club back in the day, and he would have, you know, several top 300 players. My doubles partner at the time for a long time was Cindy Watson, who was, you know, top top 120 player, made, I think made round of 16 of the Australian Open losing the classes. So these girls, I was surrounded by them on a regular basis and, so the difference for me was I was seeing this level of professionalism and quality tennis on a regular basis. And when I first came into it, you know, my professional habits, such as my attitude at times wasn't right. Um, and my coach would be like, hey, if you want to hit with these girls, you've got to be ready to step up in this area because they're not going to want to hit with you down the track. So I had to really, you know, as they say, pull your socks up and make sure that when you're on the court with these players that you're not behaving like a brat. You know, it helped me quite a lot understand the level of um, – connection that requires with good with especially good players for them to give you that call up it's not just the hit it's the way you respect you know your opportunities and I think it's the way you especially as a young player at the time you respect your opportunities that you're putting in a hundred percent that you're running down every ball that you're learning you're there to learn because they are in that position for a reason and I think a lot of these players these days some of them learn a lot from from these sort of situations is you're out there to learn you're the apprentice and it's not that you degrade where you're at you have self-belief with where you're at but you're also learning from people that are better that they are doing better than you whether it's results ranking there's a reason why they're there and it's important to understand how to keep growing as a player and being around people that display you know high levels of professionalism and, and great attributes yeah i think that's great advice so you said that you didn't have the belief that you could beat these these players why yeah why didn't you have the belief? Was it because your career had been kind of injury plagued a little bit and you didn't have the consistency? Because um, you, like you've just said there, you you spent quite a bit of time with some of these 
you know, top 100 doubles players, um, good professionals. So where was the belief lacking? Uh, I, I think just within myself, to be honest, it, it wasn't so much that I, I knew I, I knew that I could play. My biggest problem was, you know, sometimes I didn't have a lot of faith in my body. You know, I've had, uh, I'm now, you know, 40 years of age and I've had five surgeries. At the time, I'd already had my second surgery whilst um, playing Evie. So my knees, every time I felt like I was playing well, I would be struck down by a niggle or, or something that would occur. So, you know, it was a lot of, I just lost a lot of belief in my body, whether it could pull through a whole tournament or whether it could pull through a few matches. And from that, I think you put restrictions on yourself, you know, well, I can't do that or maybe I shouldn't do this or maybe I shouldn't push that hard in practice. So you never, for me, I never really knew how far I could go because in the back of my mind, I was just, there was sometimes a worry that, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pull through this whole match. So, and, you know, and it did happen. You know, I made the the quarters of that particular tournament playing another really good Australian where I was up 4-1 in the third and I got nervous and unfortunately like you know it happens you you choke a little bit and you try and work through it but at the end of that tournament my knee was absolutely done you know and it took because I pushed my body to the absolute limits and you know I think um, the educational piece around looking after your body these days is so much more um, it's so much more uh, hands-on than what it was when I was even playing I think that I could have listened to my body more and I probably should have done. I, I tend to just push myself to the absolute limits and then not think about how, I, you know, the recovery works and all those sorts of things. But it's so, you know, I'm learning a lot even, you know, trying to educate my own players at the moment with all of that. But I do think self-belief is something that you can't wait for. It is something that you've got to take on and, and just do. It's an action and you've just got to keep putting yourself in situations to be brave and have the courage to fail and fail, as they say, in many, you know, fail differently every time. And yep. it's an action it's a lot of people say okay well you know nick you know maybe i need a bit more practice or maybe i need this sometimes it's just you got to do it and just do it in the moment so you win your first three qualifying matches and then you win your first round quite comfortably and then you've drawn evie and like you just said you've had quite a bit to do with her what's the feeling there when you you know you're, you're up against her next are you excited for the challenge you're nervous do you have a nothing to lose attitude or 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 now that you've practiced against her do you have a bit of everything to lose because you feel like you should be able to match it with it that's a yeah that's a really good question actually um i think it's a little bit of both i think there's that belief i know i can do this i know i can do this if a and b really work out for me here but there's also that feeling of you know, I want to. I want to be able to prove to myself that I can do this, and I think that's the sort of attitude I went in there with. It was really important match for me because I needed. I almost needed to win that match to prove to myself that I could do it, because, you know, um, like I said, prior months before that, I had almost given up the game. I'd actually taken up singing lessons because I'd always loved singing, for example. And the reason I took up singing lessons was because it was something that I enjoyed. But then I found an ad in the paper there was someone looking for a singer and I just thought, you know what, I've got to be brave here. I'm just going to take, take that chance and, and answer that, that call. And I did. And I started during that summer, I ended up, I was still practicing, but I started singing in like venues and pubs and all this sort of stuff. And the reason I took that on Todd was because I needed to prove to myself that I could get out of my comfort zone and, and, and do something in front of people that I had never done before. And that actually helped me a lot leading into the summer because I was like, well, I play tennis every single day. I've been playing tennis since I was six years of age. It's something that I know that I can do. It's something that I've done my whole entire life. What am I scared of here? So that was my turning point in a lot of ways was I did it for alternative reasons 
And it proved to me that if I can do something in front of strangers that I don't even do every single day, then I can do this. Um, and sometimes it's having perspective in life that can really turn that around for you. And yeah, when I went out and played Evie, like there was times where I remember having that in the back of my head. It was like you were singing in a pub like a few months ago. You can do this. That's awesome to fall back on, isn't it? Yeah, it's a self-talk. It's the weird things that you do on the court. And it's, sometimes it's just something you come up with yourself. No one can teach you that. I think it's something that you can, you have to um, have an introspective mindset and really dig deep and understand yourself well and understand how you can get yourself through those moments. Because no amount of advice can be sometimes better than your own advice my opinion very true yeah so did you have specific tactics going into the match or did you have someone giving you tactics obviously you'd played a lot against her in practice so you probably knew her strengths and weaknesses um did you have a plan going in yeah i did i mean i'd practice enough and and look i was a a single-handed backhand and i used to hit with a lot of heavy spin off my backhand and i remember practicing with a lot of girls and they used to hate hitting with me because i could hit the ball up above their shoulders and i used to slice and you know drop shot and have craft um, and I at the time could move quite quickly so I think a combination of having variety and the unexpected with having some speed and learning how to change up my game when things weren't working well and you know at times I would just disrupt Evie's um, rhythm quite a bit I'd be going heavy into her backhand because her backhand wasn't her strength she had an amazing forehand and a very good first serve so I knew if I could return well, get myself in the points and then really pepper her backhand with some some weight of shot, I could then try and push her around into the forehand and, and come forward and, and those sorts of things. So get her out of position, throw in the drop shot, get her off the baseline. And I would just, and anytime she was attacking, I just told myself, I'm just going to, I had already had a pre-planned idea of where I was going to defend and I just made sure I made as many balls in that, in the court as I could. And I would try and force her to go for more every time. So if I thought if I could get each ball back, She's going to press and press and press, and then all of a sudden it's like a pressure cooker. She's just going to explode, and that's what did. That's what happened. She emotionally, uh, at the time, you know, got a little bit upset. I got a few freebies out of her towards the end, and and kind of, I just, to, to be honest, it was one of those matches where I just, the matchup for me was quite good because my back backhand at the time was a solid tactic. I knew that if I could, I knew that I had some some skills there that could really interrupt her way of playing the wanting to play the game. Um, and I attacked her second serve. I knew under pressure she would slow down her second serve. So I was kind of trying to be all over that. And I just never allowed her to know what was happening. I always felt like I could change up the point structure depending on the score line. What's, uh, what's the feeling like when you go in with tactics and, and they work perfectly and you can see the plan coming together? That must be a good feeling. It is a good feeling, but it's also a dangerous feeling because I think you know it's working, but there you know at some point the player or especially experienced players are going to start to understand what you're doing. And I think um, in today's probably some of the things that I've seen from watching players, you know, they go out there with this incredible game plan and it's going perfectly well. Or maybe the, the person that they're playing suits their game style. But then the minute that they catch on to what they're doing, the ability to then change their tactic even slightly or their strategy doesn't always happen. So and then they lose the second set and they're sort of wondering, well, how did I just lose that second set? I've been playing, you know, I've been executing this game plan. But they're not aware that the players actually probably understood what's happening and all of a sudden they're asking you the question, you know, what are you going to do about it? And sometimes it's having that ability to have that plan in place where if things aren't going well, what what can you fall back on or how can you slightly change up your strategy? It could be one thing that you do to, that, that changes the whole match. Um, so... 
I think it, it's great and it's an awesome feeling, but you also need to be prepared for the fact that no tennis match always, you know, has this peak throughout the whole entire match. There's always a little drop. It's not a linear kind of thing that tennis matches. It's up and ups and downs and within points, within games, within sets. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So the first set was 6-4 to you. Tell me how the first set went. Do you, do you remember much of it? Was it just the one break or was there a trading of breaks throughout? You know, I can't really remember it too well. I just remember it being, it was a crucial break, I think, towards the end of that that first set. And I was just rock solid, honestly. Like at that point, I, I just wanted to make a lot of balls. I wanted her to feel like she had to earn every point. Um, and I went in there with knowing what my strengths were. So I just played a pretty rock solid first set. Uh, once I knew I had that under my belt, I was sort of starting to feel pretty good with where my mindset was at at that point. That, that was that was my next question, actually. At, at what stage did you start to feel comfortable within the match? Was it when that first set was done and in the books or even before that you felt quite comfortable? Uh, I started to feel there was a comfort in the match that I could handle. Um, and then I did feel once I got the first set, I felt like, okay, I've really got to try and now maintain this. I cannot let myself drop. Is it hard to keep? Is it hard to keep a lid on that? It is because I think you know you, it's very easy to relax and go. Well, I've done my job here. I've played well. But the hardest thing is to kind of be humble and go. Well, you know what? I've won the first set doing this. I need to. I I need to just. I need the same things to keep happening, or I've got to be prepared to step up when I need to here because there's no way. The minute you drop off, the player that loses the first set's got nothing to lose. They're always going to come out playing better. And I think some players don't really prepare themselves for that because if I've got nothing to lose, well, I'm going to go out swinging and I'm going to fight. Whereas you're not, as they say, you're not chasing, you're not chasing anyone from behind. You're you're in front, you're leading and it's hard to just keep leading all the time. So it, it's one of those things where you've just got to play one point at a time and keep yourself really locked in in the moment. You mentioned it's hard to be humble. It's hard to be ruthless too, isn't it? Because how many times do you see a player, a lower ranked player really take it up to a top ranked player in the first set like you say, only to drop the second set because they're almost like, well, even if I lose, it's it's been a good effort. You have to be ruthless and stick with your plan and, and be willing to adapt, like you say. Yeah, I, look, absolutely. And it's, and it's hard because I think it's all in the way you practice also. And and I think if you only practice playing one set, well, you only get very good at playing one set. I think it's, you know, I think one thing that I would encourage a lot of players to do is go out there and play best of three sets go and go and go out there and, and fight for your wins in practice and treat it like a real match because you know I think that's the problem we get so used to playing really well for about you know 40 minutes and then if that's an easy set and then all of a sudden you don't get used to backing up another set or having to focus or re-engage yourself or it's good advice yep so the second set's tight goes to a tiebreaker did the match change complexion much at all within that set did Evie kind of pick up on some things and, and change her uh, mindset or tactics yeah, from from memory, I remember. Look, I remember leading, and then it got even, and then um, you know, fighting to like we were we were both kind of um, we were both kind of holding our serves at that point. And I remember, you know, it's a really good sign of a of a quality match when you're not breaking that much, and you're kind of um, you know you're both holding serves, especially I think in the women's game. It really just came down to starting that tiebreaker well and getting on top of that pretty early because Evie is a confidence player. When she gets going, it's just winners being flapped like everywhere and especially off her forehand when she's feeling good. The first serve starts going in more. The, the forehand's a lot better. She starts moving better and she's aggressive. So I think – and she's got a hell of a lot of self-belief and, um, you know, she you give her a little you give her a little opportunity and she'll take it. So 
for me, it was just a matter of keeping the pressure on, playing every single point well. Um, not a, always easy to do, but I think when you go in there with a very clear idea of how you need to go about it in those tiebreaker moments, for me that time I just played out of my skin. I, I remember playing shots that I just couldn't believe I was even playing at that point. Things were just working. <laughs> it was at one point I just thought, and I also just let myself play. I didn't. I knew that I was nervous, but I just had to. I just had to keep hitting the ball, and I just kept trying to put. 100% self-belief into my game and what I knew at that point because I'm like, well, I'm in this position anyway. I might as well just keep going here and believe in what I'm doing. If you get off the court knowing that you you didn't trust yourself, I feel like you lose confidence more so than if you kind of lose a match going, well, you know what? I did everything I could. I backed myself. This is going to help me with matches leading in the future. And if you win matches knowing that you didn't back yourself, I feel like that's sometimes harder because you're like, well, I won based on fear. I didn't win based on taking the bull by the horn and just, you know, just trusting myself. And I think there's a lot to say in that sort of mindset. There's a lot to go by and a lot of momentum to, to take into other matches with that. So at what stage do you allow your mind to wander off a little bit and consider a win? Were you pretty strong in not allowing your mind to wander or was it after the first set or, you know, three all in the second? I think that the thing that helped me was also practising a fair bit with Evie on and off um, at times. I think I knew how she... You know, every player has a little bit of a habit. <laughs> you know, they they you know when they're going to pick up and you know when they're going to drop off. And and look, the ones that you just don't play enough, the ones that you don't know of, you don't know what their habits are. But I think with Evie, I kind of knew that I just had to play every single game on its merit. I just couldn't get ahead of myself and I couldn't get relaxed because she's just got too many weapons to kind of all of a sudden she could just hit a she could just hit like she hit the ball heavy and fast. And I think at any point you just switch off, you switch your legs off, you switch your brain off. It's all of a sudden that points over pretty quick. So there was no time to switch off or think that I was too far ahead of myself. Well, you mentioned you got under her skin a little bit and her emotions started to come to the fore a little bit. What, when did that kind of happen? Was that in the second set? I think that started to happen. It could have happened towards the end of that first set, to be honest. I really can't remember. I mean, Evie's a pretty passionate player and so am I. Uh, you know, when I say passionate, there's a lot of, you know, there's either a little bit of yelling or commands or, you know, drop of the racket. I did make a very clear decision in that match that I was not going <laughs> to 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 throw my racket and do that. I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to keep my wits about me here because she can do this and I need to let her self-destruct a little bit. And, look, there's times where I just, you know, I think the tricky thing about at the time playing maybe someone with my game style is that it's not a usual game style. It's not that every, it's not something you see all the time. So you got the heavy spin, and then you got someone that's throwing in a drop shot from a shot that normally most girls would probably drill with two hands down the line or something, and I would throw in a drop shot or I would bring her forward and then I'd lob her. There's things that you should just wasn't seeing on a regular basis. So or I'd hit a really short angle out wide and pull her out the side fence when most girls again would probably hit through the court or hit through the sidelines. So. I think after a while when you're losing to someone like that and you're uncomfortable, you're like, well, what the hell? How am I There could be a couple of things that are going through your head as a player. How the hell am I losing to someone that's doing this? Or I'm just not seeing it. How am I not seeing this? You know, so I think that's the the element of, you know, like an on like can play those shots and can frustrate players because she just has shots that are unusual and you don't see it coming and it's not an average style of play. So I think I knew that in the back of my head that I could do that. I knew that she would not do that. So do you remember Do you remember match point? What was the score in the tie break? Do you remember that? No, I actually don't. I don't. No, I don't remember the score tie break. I do remember hitting a half volley. This is the one shot I do remember from that match, and I think it was towards the end where I hit this. 
off the baseline, a half volley backhand drive, drive backhand volley. Uh, sorry, drive, yeah, backhand drive, but pretty much off the half volley. And I hit it up the line. I don't even know how. I just smothered the ball and smashed it up the line. And, and she just threw a racket, I remember, at that point. Because I was like, even I would have thrown my racket, to be fair. Like, it was a shot that just, it's just not even, it's not a shot that you should really be playing at that point. But I just, I'd practiced, I practiced that shot anyways um, when I used to practice for fun. So I knew I could actually do it. Um, but I just, to pick it at that moment, I just never would have picked that moment to do it on but I just hit it based on the fact that I knew I could hit it. So, but I can't quite remember how that point ended. Okay. Okay. Do you remember the, the emotion after the match? So it's it's all done and dusted. Were there many people watching? Because it's ITF. Sometimes it's two, two men and a dog. Yeah. <laughs> you don't always get a lot of crowds out there, but there no. was quite a few people gathering because it was a vocal match um, in a good way. And I think it was some really good tennis from both sides. Uh, and also Evie being number one seed, there's always people obviously coming to watch the number one but I remember getting off the court and couldn't wait to call my parents. Uh, my parents stopped, my dad stopped traveling, you know, with me. I had, a, I had a sister that also played tennis and stopped, he stopped traveling with us. I was pretty much, I think, 15, 16. So, um, or probably 16 at that point. He'd gone back to work and, and I was pretty independent at that point, traveling to a lot of my coaching sessions on a train or tram, bike. So I couldn't wait to speak to them. Because funny enough, I started playing better tennis when they stopped being there because I felt like the expectation of them watching wasn't there anymore. I don't I don't think that's unusual. No, it isn't. And it was all on me and it was about what I had done and they were extremely proud. I think they could see the amount of dedication and um work ethic and independence that I had at that point. You know, I would I would go out and practice and then I would stick around all day to work and coach to earn money. And then I'd, you know, I'd practice twice a day. And then at the end, I'd be coaching at the end of the day, you know, some days a week to, just to earn some money. So I was pretty exhausted. I spent a lot of my days on the tennis court, but it was something I loved and it was, I was very passionate about it. So I was extremely stoked to, to share that news with my coach and um, my parents. And the only coaching advice that I got from my coach at the time, he was very simple with his instruction. <laughs> this could be quite an Australian thing, I reckon, but he'd always say, You'd always say, be as tough as nails today. You'd always just say that, <laughs> as tough as nails. And I knew exactly what he meant by that. And who, who was your coach? Give him a shout out. Uh, yeah, at the time it was Larry Larry Dempster at the time. Oh, he's still yeah. Larry, yeah. So he'd always just, you know, it wasn't give me tactics, but a lot of the time it was just a more of a mental approach. Well, that's that's often the difference between players. You know, it's just it's mental, a lot of it, isn't it? It's Everyone can hit a ball at that level. So after, after a match like that, how hard is it to come down from – that high to play the next match or are you still on that high and you're just kind of riding the wave? You mentioned that you you were 4-1 up in the third set in your second match. We're not going to go into yeah. detail about this match, but um, just the feeling of of having to back up for that next match. Is it difficult or? No, I was, look, I was always really, I think, good at starting again. Like, yep, I've played that match. That's great. Next match. Don't get too, let's get too ahead of ourselves. So I was always really good with that and, you know, I would try and make sure that I could use the confidence that I'd had from that win um, playing, you know, at the time I played Sophie Ferguson, who was a young Australian, good Australian player coming through. You know, I had a lot of opportunities to win that match. I didn't. I think I just started to realise that, hey, I can actually do really well here at this tournament and I did get ahead of myself. And I just I just stopped, I just stopped playing. I kind of just, you know, my serve stopped working. I got really heavy in my arm. Sophie started playing really well. I got quite emotional and the match was, you know, one based on not believing in myself in those crucial moments. And look, that week I took a, I took a great step and then I failed in the next round with, with the step that I had taken. But I 
but I knew that, hey, I'm going to get have several more of these opportunities. And, you know, I tried to always learn as much as I could from the losses. I'd write things down in my book. I would, you know, go out in the practice court and try and figure out how I could get that better. But a lot of the time it's just playing matches and doing it in the moment. And, you know, I, I was really proud to have had that week that I had because I had a lot of great wins and I had a lot of great learnings uh, along the way for me that could have kept me um, that kept me going. You know, I had a pretty good year that year in general. And just lastly, you after that match, you only played, I think, was seven more matches for the year, winning just a couple of matches. Was yeah. that was that just injuries? Yeah. So at the time, I was actually generally playing a lot more club tennis. And at that point that year, I started to – I'd played some really good matches. Even though I didn't play a lot, I played some really good matches, but I played a lot more club tennis. But at that point, I just realised my body was just not capable of playing at that level anymore. Like I was getting incredible amounts of pain in the back of my leg. I was getting increasingly frustrated. I started like I started not wanting to try anymore. There was just this willingness of not wanting to try deep down inside because I felt defeated by my body. And as much as my head wanted to keep going, I had to I had to really be um, you know at peace with giving the game away because I tried everything up until that point to get myself healthy to play, but I just never could seem to get a good run uh, overall. So you know it was really really hard to walk away at the end of the, that year, but I knew I had to, and I knew that my career was was done honestly like I just couldn't do anything more and but the damage was so so bad in my knee that I would have had to keep having little minor surgeries or you know constantly pay for those gels it's just not worth it and it's not worth you know taking four voltarins a day trying to keep yourself on court so you know I was happy with what had happened you know in terms of matches played and the type of matches won for me always important but yeah I didn't get as many matches in that year as I would have liked Let's focus on the good ones, and and this was a good match to discuss. So thank you for your time today. Appreciate it, Betty. It was good to have a chat. Thank you, Todd. Really appreciate it. Good luck with the junior podcast that you can also hear on The First Serve. Thank you. Thanks, Betty. See you soon. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.